Hi everyone, welcome to Drafting Archetypes. This is Sam Black with the uh, bonus follow-up questions to my Blue Black Rogues lecture. Um, and so let's hop into some questions. Um, first, the question is, what do you think of the relative potential strength of playing Kicker Rogues or Party Rogues versus pure Mill Flash Death Touch Flyer Rogues? Uh, obviously, Landfall Counters theme is out with no green. So, um, this is, I, I spoke a little bit, uh, this is a question that came in a little early, and I spoke a little bit about this uh, toward the end of my lecture, that I don't consider myself an expert on evaluating the relative strengths of these for the most part, but I can weigh in on this. Uh, so, Kicker Rogues, I think, is the strongest in that the actual kicker payoff cards are just very strong. And so, like, if you have rogue stuff supporting, um, like, Roost of Drakes uh, or some other kicker stuff, um, your deck is just, like, a blue kicker deck, and that's great. And if you happen to be supporting it with black cards rather than cards of another color, whatever. If you have enough, like, kicker stuff that your, your deck is identifiably kicker, it's probably a really strong deck. Um, Party Rogues. Party Rogues suffers from the fact that the party payoffs available in this archetype are, I would say, real whatever. Uh, like, you don't care that much about Deadly Alliance costing two to three rather than three to four, and um, the like six mana, two, three, kill something silencer, uh, Drana silencer, maybe, whatever, um, is worst when your base type is rogues because you want to have like other party types and then for it to give you an additional type whereas here you're like maybe you have a bunch of creatures and it's still only giving minus one one or minus two two um and it's not that card strong of a card to begin with so now you're like okay well i guess i'm enabling my seafloor stalker and then it's like okay but it's not like i was struggling to find evasive creatures in blue black or struggling to like push damage in my all-card advantage removal deck. So, um, you know, like, there's Malakir Blood Priest type things, and it's, it's you know, party matters a little bit, but for the most part, I don't think that you get a lot out of, like, diversifying. So uh, I'm not really into party rogues, but if by party rogues you mean tribal rogues, where you have, like, a bunch of things that say, I want rogues... Well, now your deck is just, like, in pretty good shape just because the things that specifically say they want rogues are strong cards. Like, the worst one is Expedition Skulker. But then you get into, like, the uncommons, like the 1-4 uh, black thing and the 1-3 gold thing and Zareth Sand. And then it's just like, okay, well, if you have those, your deck's great. So that's another thing where it's like, yeah, if my deck is like... Oh, there's also the uncommon 2-3 for 4 that like draws a card if it damages them and you can tap a rogue to make it unblockable that thing i think is like pretty good if you're like very roguey um and if you have uh like zulaport duelists and stuff but um can definitely air a little clunky but um i i think that one that's one that really takes a lot of advantage of the fact that blue black like often has so many cheap cards and it's like way better uh, the like more low curve your deck is, and the more you can afford to like tap an extra creature and get in with that, and still have other creatures back to block and stuff. Um, so that, that's 
that's the card that actually really pushes you toward super leaning into this low curve thing. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, tribal rogues is a lot better than rogues plus party stuff. And then um, the versus mill slash flash slash death touch slash flyer rogues is like, okay, well, obviously I like it more if you have a game plan than if you're just a little bit of everything with no game plan. But uh, there's a lot of room in there in terms of like doing the stuff that I was saying about getting like good mixes of effects and some kind of plan to potentially like build a good deck. Uh, as to obviously landfall slash counter theme is out with no green. I mean, it is and it isn't. Like every now and then you just like do a black thing, right? Like you just happen to get like some subtle strikes and um maybe even the 2-2 two -two that like makes counter things have menace and the 2-3 that puts a counter on something when it dies and maybe like some skyclave shades and maybe uh like ghastly gloom hunters and you just find yourself in a spot where the like counters matter it i, I have gotten beat up by uh the like random 2-2 two -two menace guy out of uh blue black decks before um and i mean like as far as like landfall is out i mean it's fine to put a squid in your deck it's fine to put like the five four in your deck uh, i don't know that it would really count as like a deck but you can do that stuff and also i mean you can end up doing the like gloom hunter and blight priest thing if you want it, like it doesn't come up a lot but that's like a synergy that exists just in black okay so that was a very long answer to a big question uh moving on do i feel rune crap uh, Ruin Crab is a blue-black card or just a powerful blue card? Uh, it is a card that... So all of the, like, mill enabler stuff definitely makes me think I would prefer to be blue-black, and I'm looking to be blue-black, and I'm thinking about blue-black stuff. But it's not in any way exclusively good in blue-black. I, I think of it more as a blue control card than as a blue-black card. And then... Like, it is at its best in, if you, it is enough better in blue-black that it sometimes comes around to being good in blue-black aggro because you care so much about what it's doing and it gives you a backdoor that can win when combined with your other stuff that happens to mill them. Um... And it is much stronger even on its own as like a long-term plan in blue-black because uh, you're able to get it back with blood beckoning if your opponent kills it or something and you're able to like mill them some and then have it die and then supplement with other mill cards to finish them off or something. So it is definitely at its best in blue-black, but it's so strong and serviceable in any kind of slow blue deck that I'm, uh, like I said, happy to just like take it and shift kind of into blue control and see if that ends up uh, with me in a spot where I end up wanting to be blue black or not. The next question is basically just where am I on mind drain? Um, I, this is partially because I don't play blue black that much. I don't have a lot of experience with mind drain. I've been trying to like play around with it a little bit, a little bit more because I've heard that some players are really into it. Um, it's been good against me sometimes, but not others. It feels pretty matchup dependent to me. I like it as a way to get eight cards in your opponent's graveyard. So when you have a lot of cards in blue-black that care about that condition, 
then I think it's a very good way to get that condition. But if you're like trying to mill your opponent, it only mills them for one, and that's not that exciting. So I think it's good if you are, um, yeah, either trying to enable that or just looking for card advantage stuff. My problem with it when I'm just looking for card advantage stuff is a lot of the time that your deck is just really grindy and doing a lot of the card advantage thing, you play a long game and your opponent has a chance to empty their hand and then the game keeps going and then you might draw it when it's like relatively dead. And so that's that's a concern for me. Um, I think the more you're like, all my decks are mid-range in some capacity and I'm just like playing a bunch of like independently strong cards with like less of a strategy. Now you're in a spot where uh, it's more likely that the two for one matters and the game ends before it might go dead and then it would be a better card for you than it is for me. Um, but for me, it's it's not a it's not a high priority for me in like most of the decks that I draft. Uh, but I, I would not go so far as to say that I'm like convinced that it's not a strong card or not strong in the archetype or anything. The next question is a little outside of the scope of what I'm doing. I'm gonna mention it very quickly, I guess, but I don't want to go too deep on it. This is a question about just how I would rank the archetypes overall. Um, this is kind of a mid-archetype. It's blue, which I like, but um, I, I've talked about a lot of like smaller issues I have with it. Uh, my favorite two archetypes by a pretty wide margin are blue-green and blue-white. After that, I think um, white-black. Um, and after that, it's all kind of similar. Um, there are a few that I, I will say come up less often, but I'm not particularly convinced that they're weaker. Um, green in general is not very strong. The, the green archetypes that aren't blue uh, can struggle a little bit. Um, and like the blue archetypes, like blue is so strong that I'm pretty comfortable with blue, black or blue, red. Um, uh, so I don't know, that's my answer to that question. Um, Next question, how important do I consider the mill eight enablers or payoffs to be? Um, can you have a functional deck that doesn't reliably get eight cards in your opponent's graveyard? Absolutely. That is a plan, and the more stuff you have that looks to get eight cards, the more you prioritize the things that enable it, and all of that stuff collectively is like a package that you can do, but certainly not a thing that you're required to do. Um, there was the discussion earlier about the various like kinds of rogues and like, you know, it, we talked about kicker rogue versus like, you know, tribal rogue versus whatever. Um, it, it's easy to build like a deck that does strong things like kicker um, or just like happens to have, you know, removal spells, card draws and creatures that don't care about that and like, as long as you you have a plan and you have high card quality, it doesn't matter if you are on one plan or another plan or anything. So uh, how, how important it is is very deck dependent. And like, so I, I guess this is kind of getting at the idea that like in blue-white, I think party is almost always important. It's possible to like, it's hypothetically possible to draft in such a way that you don't end up using it. Um, 
but I say that it's important because I think that it's important to prioritize early because you're likely enough to end up in a spot where it's important um, that it's better to be prepared. So I think the like real way that I should interpret this, uh, how important is it question is, do I think that it's so likely that you'll end up with enough cards that care about this that you should prioritize positioning yourself to enable it um, kind of just like in the dark in pack one or two um, or like should you you know lean into taking like the payoffs early because you expect that you're going to want to prioritize the enablers either way or something and I, I, I think that you should definitely approach blue black in a way where you assume that milling your opponent matters um, and getting your opponent getting cards into your opponent's graveyard matters and maybe that's going to be about getting to the threshold of eight maybe that's going to end up being like i'm literally trying to deck my opponent um you don't really know but i, I do think that like you don't you like in other decks sometimes i think that like that clause on glacial grasp is i can basically ignore it and just evaluate whether i want lock a creature down draw a card but in blue black i i am thinking about the fact that I'm milling my opponent for two and that that does something and I care about it. And the same way that I'm saying, like, with Mind Train, I care about the fact that that's putting three cards in my opponent's graveyard. And so I'm a lot more likely to play Mind Drain in blue-black. So I think that the answer is that it matters and it should inform all of your picks and all of your rankings, but it doesn't trump other considerations and it won't always be the thing that matters. Next question. Um, do I think that most uh, archetypes um, across formats in general fit into there are different paths uh, that are open for drafting this archetype versus uh, more like rigid this is how you draft that this archetype so obviously super broad question uh, it's not there's not going to be a consistent answer to this because every format's so different and uh, in formats like Ravnica sets, they really need to prioritize this idea that, say, for each of the guilds that are available, there's kind of like an aggressive and a controlling way to draft them as much as possible because they're, you're already limited to so few decks and you have to draft a guild that there need to at least be multiple ways to draft each of them. In sets where you can draft any color combination, it's more likely that they can say like, okay, anytime you're this color combination, you're doing this thing and that's fine. It doesn't make the format too narrow. Um, this format I think is a fairly typical situation where um, some archetypes I think always want to be doing the same thing and some don't. And like always is kind of a like loose term anyway, where like I always want to be kicker if I'm blue green, but sometimes that doesn't work out and sometimes you just like oh i guess i'm i guess i care about party in this like archetype that i usually think of as not caring about party or whatever so and then there's also just this idea that like well whatever color combination you are if there are certain like build around uncommons or something that that can give you like a meaningful twist just because you have this uncommon that's not generally available um that can take your deck in a whole different direction so I think like there is, there's definitely a range here. And uh, if you've been paying attention to uh, previous episodes of this podcast and everything, I do talk about how with some of the archetypes, I think 
it's a lot more consistent about like what you want to do than others. Uh, Blue Red, for example, I think is like very, very highly variable. Um, whereas White Black, there are like a few minor like tweaks and sub themes, but for the most part, I think that what you're doing is like pretty straightforward and pretty much like I want an engine of clerics that trigger off of each other in some capacity. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it varies and it's something that I'll always comment on and I'm not sure, uh, how much, um, depth is useful to go into it on beyond that. Uh, next question. I mentioned Shadow Stinger, which I have not been good at referring to by name, but is the one for, uh, uncommon black creature that mills your opponent and can get death touch as being one of the more above average uncommon creatures for the archetype. I do think that. How do I feel about Black Bloom Rogue and Surefooted Infiltrator? Black Bloom Rogue, I like a lot. It is a, that's the uh, DFC uh, tapped uh, swamp thing or uh, two, three menace that can get uh, plus three, plus O oh if your opponent has eight cards. This card is like, it's like, so if we ignore all the good parts and just think of it as like either a 2-3 creature or a land I'm already pretty happy with that because uh, that's just like a DFC where like it's a fine rate creature or a land I'm in um, and then once you're up to a 5-3 menace for 3 that's just really good uh, especially in an archetype that's so likely to have tricks like subtle strike or Zulaport duelist or into the royal or any kind of removal spell it's really really easy to get your opponent in a spot where like you're attacking for five with this thing so they can't just ignore it so they have to double block and then you can like answer one of their things or shrink their power or something blow them out in some capacity or i mean also just a five three is very good stats for a menace creature because it's just likely that your opponent has to trade two creatures for it um and anytime you're trading like a three mana creature for two creatures like that's good so uh, yeah, that card is great. It's good in any blue, in any black. That's so another spot where it's like good in any black deck, such that it doesn't really like put me into blue black. But it is so much better as a five three than as a two three that I will preferentially look to end up blue black if I have it, which is kind of the spot that a lot of the uncommon blue blue and black cards put me in. Um, so huge fan of uh, Black Bloom Rogue and then Surefooted Infiltrator it feels really weird to say that I like Shadow Stinger more than Surefooted Infiltrator. Surefooted Infiltrator is the 4 mana 2-3 uh, draws a card when it damages them you can tap a rogue to make it unblockable but I've had I, Shadow Stinger has been more impressive um, it like costs less mana and it's a really good on offense, really good on defense whereas Surefooted Infiltrator is remarkably clunky like the five mana or four mana is just so much more than three mana for a scroll thief type of effect and obviously it's really 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 good to give those things evasion but it's also like a big ask to tap another creature and then tap that creature to um get through uh just because when you're tapping the other creature and tapping this creature now you're not hitting them for that much damage and you're like making it a lot harder to block so now, like, if your opponent's doing anything, like, it's just really easy to, like, get killed while you're trying to, like, turn this combo into, like, some slow card draw. Um, 
and then if your opponent's not doing anything like is you have two creatures on the battlefield and your opponent's not really doing anything do you care if you're able to like draw cards with them i don't know um it, it it is i mean obviously there are a lot of games where like it it is a card that is capable of running away with a game um and capable of like breaking a game open that might not be um where like there might be a board stall or something but it's it's still been kind of i mean it's more hit or miss for me it has a really high ceiling but a pretty low floor um next question do i think this deck is overly reliant on the uncommons um i yeah kind of to be honest i mean like i talked about how the commons are all like very replaceable and you're not really leaning on any of them um and uh a lot of the like real mill enablers and payoffs and stuff that cares about what you're doing here are uncommons um but i also think that like uncommons are just a really big deal in limited and a lot of decks uh, really lean on uncommons and leaning on uncommons isn't necessarily a bad thing and this is a deck that's very well positioned to support its good uncommons uh just due to what i was talking about in terms of seeing a lot of cards and being able to like get on like you have commons that can get onto the battlefield early and play a game and uh that the fact that you can play a game and not fall behind and have card draw to see more cards and stuff means that you're more likely to be able to like find and cast and use your good uncommons so um, on the one hand yes it's somewhat reliant on the uncommons on the other hand it's a good way to like take advantage of strong uncommons although i i think that for the most part that's basically true of any blue deck in this format so take it with a grain of salt but um yeah, uh, the, the uncommons are really important in limited in general and in Zendikar in particular and within Zendikar, uh, I would say probably in blue in particular since blue has so many really, really strong uncommons in terms of like Old Mage's Domination and Rooster Drakes and Ruin Crab. That exhausts our question queue for the moment. Um, if anyone else has any last minute questions here, great. If not, that will uh, wrap up this whole archetype. And uh, it looks like looks like that's what's happening. We're wrapping up. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in, especially thank anyone who asked questions. Uh, really appreciate everyone looking out and making sure I don't uh, miss anything and uh, helping to make this content as good and useful for everyone as it can be um obviously doing this uh on my own without a co-host uh i have to be very cognizant of the fact that i could miss something and i really count on everyone's questions to make sure i cover everything i need to be covering so um appreciate again anyone tuning in if you haven't tuned in before and you're listening to uh this podcast please uh consider making time or just paying attention to see if you're available some Thursday evening and come by and uh, hang out, watch this live and uh, help out with some questions. So um, thank you everyone. And I will be back next week. Although uh, I'm not sure where we're going to be exactly in Kaldheim spoilers. And obviously we're uh, wrapping up Zendikar. We were not going to be getting to 
every archetype in this format before we start uh, live with Keldheim. And we're getting to the point where I need to make some uh, tough decisions about whether I want to try to do some kind of like pre-Kaldheim talk about cards thing or some other content. But I, I think I'm probably just going to, I, I have a formula and I do care a lot about sticking with that formula. So um, I think I am going to, uh, I'm probably going to do another, uh, another Zendikar archetype next week. So anyone um, on the Patreon, uh, check that out to contribute to the poll for what might be the last archetype we talk about. And anyone who's not in there can uh, go to patreon.com slash drafting archetypes to um, weigh in and uh, choose what we talk about next week for potentially the last uh, Zendikar archetype and, uh, you know, get all of the bonus content my notes for every week and stuff like that and participate in the votes for all future content um <laughs> I, I will acknowledge this uh one late question as i'm wrapping up uh this is just a um do i take uh zareth san or um uh soaring thought thief pack one pick one uh assuming they're just both in, both there <laughs> Probably Zareth, I guess, but I don't have a, like, a, they're both just, like, this is, I get that it can happen because, like, it's a rare and an uncommon, but it feels very, like, which of these rares do you want kind of question, but I'll say Zareth. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, that's gonna do it. Thank you, and goodbye. <laughs>